Hello, and welcome to the Swing Smarter Hitting Training Podcast. I'm your host, Joy Myers from HittingPerformanceLab.com, and I have the pleasure today to, uh, you know, we've never met. We've met over email and, and things like that, but I feel like we, it's just like baseball, brothers in baseball, uh, brothers in softball. So I have Nate Headley with me uh, on, the, on the call. So first, I want to welcome you to the show, Nate. Enjoy. Pleasure being here, man. It's, it's been a long time coming, man. I, I pleasure to finally get to talk to you face to face and and put a voice with it, man. Exactly. Yeah. And and we've been we've been connected for such a long time. And I, you know, I, I know I got to put it out there, but Nate holds his own. He uh, he's a brother, Chase Headley. Those of you uh, know Chase Headley, and and we were just talking before we started the recording that Nate got to go all over the country, really, with Nate playing playing in ballparks and things like that. We were talking about Petco and San Diego and New York and some of the, some of these cool ballparks. Um, but this call, I, I got to mention that. But Nate is is big into the hitting side. So Nate, just just give everybody an idea of, of what you're doing. Your because uh, I think you have a facility or a few right. facilities. You coach teams, stuff like that. Give people a sense sure. of what you're what you're into. Yeah. So a um, uh, little bit of a uh, different story. Um, I went to a, a JUCO in Kansas, uh, Colby, and uh, my very first day of classes there, I had five roommates arrested on um, eight felony counts of theft. Believe it or not. So I woke up to my first first morning um, of college with the cops knocking on our door at like five o'clock in the morning. So um, long story short, I I decided Colby wasn't the place for me for me to be. But I really wanted to stay in the industry. So um, I actually finished my undergraduate um, at Colorado State in accounting, got my master's at Tennessee in sports management, started running a facility here in 2005. Um, and then I was hired by the University of Tennessee. Um, I coached at Tennessee from 2007 through 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up firing our head coach, and I decided it was a, in my best interest to move on and do something more in the independent world so I wasn't having to worry about uh, losing my job at any point in time. So um, <laughs> awesome, awesome opportunity, man. I mean, I absolutely love coaching the SEC. It was, you know, the the competition level there is is unlike any conference in the country. So uh, once I got done coaching there, um, I bought a facility here in town, um, and now I've been running that since 2011. Um, we've had upwards of 30 teams with multiple facilities in Knoxville. Kind of got a little bit tired of the hmm. dealing with teams and parents. Um, <laughs> where it, it just got a, bit, a little bit more than – it took me away from what I care about most, and that's developing hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, you know, after – I guess five or six years of, of having that many teams, the facility, I decided to um, tone that back. And I just have one facility. Now um, I have multiple strength conditioning companies training out of that facility. And we focus more on, uh, on development, but a couple of years ago, I got <clears throat> the bug to get, get back into coaching. Um, so I've got a 16 new team. I coach with one of my good friends and former Alabama pitcher, Josh Copeland. Um, and I help him coach a team out of home plate. So I bring down, six guys from Knoxville down to Atlanta and we've got a team that we combined. Um, I mean, we're ranked top 25 by perfect game, which whatever that means. I mean, we've got, um, I think yet last year at the, to finish the season, we had four SEC commits already for that, that time as a 15 year group. So, um, you know, sometimes being, I mean, I'm sure you understand this being in a tunnel every single day doing, you know, 10 to you know 20 lessons, depending on the time of year or day. Um, you want to see the product on the field too. So mm-hmm. um, it, it was a, it was a pretty good opportunity for me to bring a, a high level group of guys down there and, and um, 
being able to <clears throat> coach with, you know, honestly, one of the best on-field coaches I've ever co coached with, with Cope. And um, it's just, it's sometimes if you don't see the product on the field, all you are stuck in there working on swings, man. It, it gets, anytime you do something constantly, nonstop, man, it doesn't matter what you're doing, man, it can wear you out. So mm. um, I missed that and I was excited to get back on the field too. I love that. Yeah. And, and congrats on everything. I mean, you, you, what I, what I like about you is that we not only have the Academy side that for those Academy owners out there, I'm sure there's some that are starting up and then there are some that are maybe in the, the mid, the mid ages of that. And then there's some that have been in it for, for decades. Right. Um, but you also sure. have not only the Academy side, but you have the, the team coaching side too. And um, the, the other side that you really love that you talk about is being in the cage, right. Grinding out in the cage and being a, a developer of athletes, right? So you, you mentioned strength conditioning, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, obviously the hitting side and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different avenues we can go with this. So I think we'll just let it flow and I'll just, we'll hit one. We may not be able to cover all three of those. So I always say there, there are those team coaches, there are the, the uh, instructors, and then there are the parents that are, you know, maybe coaching teams. So there's those three types of, we call them avatars, you know? So let, let's start on the Academy side. So since you and your and your academy, I'd love to mention it. So, are you guys? I'm looking at your. I don't yeah, it's, know, it's RBI baseball. RBI baseball. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, we you got, got Head First a, Athletics. Is that your? That's a company, and then yeah, RBI is the, yeah, RBI, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, one of the teams I coach. Other one of the young groups I coach was called Head First Athletics. So that's mm -hmm. kind of where that came from. So, mm -hmm. and we have uh, Red Stitch 108 is is one of our groups. We. We um, what, what we try to do with our facility is <clears throat> we can brand them based off of, you know, our specific name in our facility. Or if we have, you know, teams that want to come in and use us, we kind of look at ourselves as the mothership. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if we have a team that wants to come in and build new uniforms, new scheme, you know, we, we try not to limit guys from that because, um, you know, I think that's part of the enjoyment for a lot of these coaches and players and teams is to kind of build their own build their own brand and let us help with it. Mm -hmm. I love that. So what do you, what do you see as, so from the Academy owner hat, put, putting that hat on, what do you see as like the top two mistakes that Academy owners make? I'm sure you've, you've talked with others, you've seen stuff. Man, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> okay. If you got more than that, <laughs> let me hit, I guess, let me hit on some of the ones I feel like, you know, and, and you always learn, man, it, it's, and I think it's an ever evolving, um, environment in which you kind of have to cater to you know the, the the level of talent you have the um you know the what is needed in your market and, and that's changed over the, the the period of time that i've owned my facility man like i said we had up to 30 teams at one point in time and you know, we've got five or six facilities in this area and for us it was more about you know trying to put a quality product on the field of competitive teams as much as possible but also providing an atmosphere in which you know we have some rec ball players that want to get better and move on and play at a higher level and and, and trying to provide some opportunities for our, you know double a players triple a players mm -hmm. um and, and not leave anyone out man i mean and, and what i've i've come to learn is you know if if you try to please everyone in this industry you're going to fail mm -hmm. and doing it the right way and trying to stay you know, within the realm of, you know, what your integrity is and what you're trying to build with an organization is, is, is important as, as anything, man. There's, there's a lot of, of organization around our area in the Chattanooga and Atlanta area that have almost grown so quickly that the product is get, is getting watered down a little bit um, mm -hmm. without naming names of, of certain organizations. It's, you know, we train players from literally, 
you know, a hundred different organizations. And, you know, we constantly hear nightmares of, you know, Hey, well, I, I signed up to play for this team and, and they've been really competitive in the past. And then when I got there, it was, there were four guys that could play and the rest didn't belong on the field. So, mm. you know, making sure that we stayed within the realm of being able to have enough or enough, you know, contact with our players and coaches to make sure that, you know, it's not about winning as much as it is about making sure they continue to develop because when it comes to an eight, U, 10, U, 11, U, 12, U kid, man, like, no one's going to remember what you did at 12 you know, <laughs> right. so, so they don't, they don't care. Like, I don't remember what I did at 12 you, um, and, and keeping your, your eyes on the ultimate goal of allowing these kids to play the the next level and hopefully, you know, help pay for college and who knows after that. So, mm-hmm. um, I think the biggest mistakes we've made over the years is just trying to do too much too fast, you know, reaching out and we, we opened multiple facilities and, and not that that didn't work. It was just, it was so hard for me individually as an owner of the facility to make sure I was staying connected with all of our players and parents as much as possible mm-hmm. on top of being in the tunnel, doing 60 to hundred lessons a week individually. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's been, you know, for me, it's almost, uh, and I know, like, I know you said earlier that you do a lot of group stuff with your guys and, mm-hmm. um, I would love to do that, you know, at our facility, but I've been doing <laughs> individuals for so long. It's just so weird for people to, like, <laughs> they don't want to give that up. I don't want to give it up. And, and it's like, man, well, I, I've only got so much room on my book. And, and, you know, ultimately I think, you know, my thought process these days is more like, how do I help coaches mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. instead of help players? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, heck, I'll be honest with you, man. One of the, the first books that I read to, you know, get me outside the thought process of what I was really thought and taught growing up was, was your uh, catapult load system. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that was kind of the first one I read that kind of changed my mindset of like, Hey man, you weren't taught the right things, you know, mm. and, and not because it was, it was bad information as far as they didn't want to help me. It was just, wasn't right. It was, right. Just, you know, it was certain cues and things that you're like, Hey man, you're trying to trick me into doing something instead of teaching me actually how to do it and why to do it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think just keeping an open mind and keeping, you know, the, your hand on the pulse of what's going on within the organization and making sure that, you know, ultimately your players are being developed and your coaches aren't acting like idiots on the field. And you know, it's tough. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I think you probably know as a, as owner of facility, man, most of the phone calls we get are the negative ones, man. We rarely get to hear the, Hey man, you're doing a great job. You know, you, mm-hmm. your teams are, are doing really well. So I'm um, trying to stay positive in that, you know, that side of things and making sure that, you know, we understand what our ultimate goal is with our guys. Yeah. And, and managing expectations for parents, you know, I think, I think that's a big thing. And, and we, I know you've done it, I've done it where you, your parents asking and they're very adamant. And I've learned that that's a yellow flag. Once you got a parent coming in, well, how fast, how fast, how fast can we see how, how fast, how fast. And I know that that that's a, right. You've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's a yellow flag. And before I would being a nice person, empathetic person, I'd say, Hey, you know, we do this, that, and it's, it should be within a, a short amount of time, but there's so many factors that you and I coaches and, and instructors can only control. There's, there's only so much. And we can't, we can't say, we don't have that crystal ball to say, well, it's going to take Johnny or Sally a month or, or two months, because you might have that, that diamond, that diamond in the rough where that player is on the, the, the left side of the bell curve, right. The ones that are the big leaguers, like your brother, you know, um, if it's like us, it's, we're, we're more, we're, we're, we're kind of on that left side, but you know, as college guys, we're, we're still not that top 1%. Right. Um, and yep. then you have your bell curve people, which is the majority of the people. And then you have your other side, the right side of the bell curve where those players are, aren't going to 
probably get better because they're not going to work on it or, or, or they're just not passionate enough about it, you know, that kind of thing. So it's managing expectations, I think is a big one. And, and with you guys is in the academies that are out there, the, the parents, like you said, the phone calls you get, aren't always the nice ones. Um, you do get them, uh, but not always the nice ones, the parents that are complaining or, or whatever. And I think a lot of it is just the, the expectations. Would you agree? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, on the, the opposite side of the spectrum too, I, a lot of times I get the parent that comes in and is like, you know, well, I'm not expecting my you know son to play mm. in the big leagues, but, and then for me, it's, it's different because I can say, well, guess what? Well, someone's got to do it. I watched my brother do it for 10 years. So <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to tell a parent like, Hey man, your, your kid's not going to play in the big leagues. Your kid's not going to play in college, but mm-hmm. you ultimately can't come in when a kid's 10 years old and say, yeah, man, he's going to play division one baseball, or he's going to play at a Juco or like, I don't know how they're going to develop. They move differently. And guess what? In two years, they're going to move even more different. So, you know, I I think that staying the course and making sure that not just really more importantly, the player, you know, continues to enjoy the process of it. Um, I think the toughest conversations I have are the ones with the parents that are so over the top. You have to sit them down and say, Hey, look, man, if you don't back off, they're not going to make it. And, and, And there's, there's three or four kids off the top of my head, you know, that, that they stop playing because of, of, of it's normally dad. Um, there's not as many psycho moms out there in this room right. as far as the football side of it goes. I do a lot of softball as well too. So you get plenty mm-hmm. of that there too, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, man, I think it's, it's, it's a matter of making sure that they stay focused on what is ultimately, you know, developing them, but still allowing them to enjoy the process of getting better and, 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 you know, we play the game of baseball. We don't work the game of baseball. You and I work the game of baseball, yeah, but right. you know, we don't get to go back and play. That's, you know, that's where we're at now. So making sure that, you know, you're holding kids accountable, but you're also making sure that they see the light at the end of the tunnel and what ultimately, you know, it could, it could get them to. And, you know, I think you and I both have been doing this long enough now that, you know, we've got plenty of stories about, you know, the good ones, the bad ones, guys that made it, guys that didn't make it, guys that should have made it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, frankly didn't work the way they should have or honestly had the information to allow them to do it and that's mm-hmm. why we do what we do all right exactly you mentioned on the coaching side that and, and i have a feeling that it's probably because you got all burnt out but you were you were you guys had what 30 30 teams uh yeah. you know team coach uh, side of things um i'm sure a lot of it was just burnout but um what what would you say from a team like those team coaches out there that are coaching teams what, sure. what would you say the the mistakes that you see being made that you either you've made or you've seen other coaches making? Sure. Sure. Um, as far as coaching goes, I think, you know, the biggest thing that, that I would warn coaches on is don't stop learning. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, where I'm at now is because basically I took everything that I was told growing up and threw it out the window and <laughs> relearned hitting. I mean, me too. Yeah. Yeah, you had to, you know what I mean? It's in like, I don't fault my high school coaches. I don't fault my youth coaches, like, cause they were doing their best to, to based off of what they knew. And, and, and you have to factor in, there's so much more available now, the technology, you know, the, the social media mm-hmm. could be good or bad for that matter. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that a lot of coaches lose the, the desire and fire to do it when they stop learning. Mm-hmm. When it's, you know, when you when you go out and say, hey, these cues or these drills have worked for me in the past and that's all I'm going to do. I think ultimately you that's where you start to lose traction in, in the development process and, and building teams. And um, yeah, 
I think that the more you can continue on a daily basis to, you know, pick up, you know, if it's one thing a day, you know, if it's, you know, whether it's a drill, whether it's a concept, whether it's, you know, whatever it is to make sure that you're trying to better yourself, because when you stop bettering yourself, you stop bettering your team. Um, and I think the other thing too, that, you know, I've learned, especially as I've gotten older, because when I, man, when I was a young coach, actually in 2006, I won the 16 new world wood bats, the perfect game world wood bats. Um, and the coach I was at that time is a whole heck of a lot different, man. At that point in time, like I was still learning hitting, you know, I, I had a pretty good concept of the game. I mean, I, I've, always been a student of the game and understand the X and O's and pitch calls and defensive alignment. And that kind of stuff is, you know, I feel like that's kind of always been a strong suit of mine mm-hmm. um, as well as probably the leadership side of it. Cause I was a, I was a quarterback in the football team. I was a point guard in the, the basketball court. So like <clears throat> I've always been a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that was at that point in time, that's what I did. It was just mm-hmm. a matter of making sure we had the right guys in the right positions and, and leading them and making sure that when they, we ste- when we stepped on the field that it didn't matter who we were playing, we felt like we had a chance to win. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, I think it's, it's just been more like the development of me actually understanding, um, you know, the intricacies of, of how athletes move mm-hmm. um, and, and the different ways that, athletes learn. Um, I think the hardest thing that, that we do in our industry is working with each individual athlete. And, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of people talk crap a lot about high school coaches and how ter- terrible they are. Well, right. be in their shoes. Like <laughs> you got to understand, like you have a two hour practice typically, you know, maybe you're three, you get three hours with those guys if you're lucky and you don't have 30 minutes to work with each individual hitter. So, mm-hmm. you know, what bothers me is when those high school coaches won't allow them, you know, to go out and work with hitting guys. You know, if you don't want them to work with a hitting guy, well, give them a reason. Go do your research on that hitting guy. And, and you know, if you don't like what they're teaching and you don't feel like it, it matches up with, with what you're trying to do with your program, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're just not allowing anybody to, to work with your hitters, you're, you're hindering yourself. You're hindering mm-hmm. your program and you're not allowing – you to meet to meet the maximum potential of what your guys can do, man. I've and it went from when I first started in this industry out here, man. Like there were certain coaches that wouldn't like if I was hitting with our guys, like they I, they couldn't tell them. They basically had to do it, you know, under wraps. And right. And now those now those same coaches actually send their guys to me, and when I go to their <laughs> signings, shout out. So, but make, which is cool, making cool, their man. job like, easier, man. Making their yeah. job easier. Yeah, and you just you can't like there's no way to work with your hitters on an individual basis right. like that especially, and they sure as heck don't get paid enough money to do it for that matter as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think that just, you know, don't be stubborn, you know, keep an open mind and and understand that every athlete learns differently, moves differently, are motivated differently. You know, some dudes need a kick in the butt, some dudes need a pat in the butt. And and if you try to coach every single player the same way, you're not going to be successful, man. I mean, and that's one of the things I learned coaching in the SEC. Like, they say that you learn just as much about what you wouldn't do working for a head coach as you would do. And that's not, that's not a talk. You know what I mean? It's right. just like, Hey, I'm going to in a situation where like I, the, the players are going to talk to me different than my head coach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was a little bit younger. They felt like they could com- communicate with me a little bit better, connect with me a little bit better and, and kind of getting a feel for the environment that you create a comfortable environment in which players feel like they can communicate. They mm-hmm. feel like they can open up to you about certain things, but still, you know, are not scared of you, but respect you and understand that, Hey, you know, 
this guy's doing things that are going to make put our team in the best position to win ball games and give us a chance to be as successful as possible. So, um, but yeah, man, it, it's, it's ever growing. It's an ever, you know, you're, you're constantly evolving. And when you stop, man, you're going backwards. And, and that's, that's why I love doing things like this, man. Like I, mm-hmm. I, this is cool, man. And that's why the the opportunity to sit down with one of the best hitting guys in the country out in Cali and I'm out here in the Southeast. So mm-hmm. this is cool, man. I love this. Well, my, uh, the the mindset right is, is the same that growth mindset and um do you li- do you listen to any podcasts like coaching podcasts or anything so for those coaches out there that are looking they're like hey you know nate's got a good point where i can learn you know one percent more every day and i think podcasts are great for that because there's sure. a lot of driving time and whatnot are there any podcasts that you would recommend like on the baseball coaching side or softball coaching side? i mean honestly man i'm i'm probably far less of a, a podcast guy as i am like I just, I dig into social media, man, like mm-hmm. the certain hitting guys that I, I truly like to follow. And, and so going to that, uh, that was another question I had. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you and I, on this whole journey have, uh, we've seen, and, and like the social media blown up, there's so many options. There's so many coaches out now with social media stuff. So what's your, what's your filter? Like, how do you know, uh, to follow a guy or to, to give it a try? You know, how do you, what's your filter for that? Yeah. So I, I always explain social media hitting to my hitters like a buffet line. When you go to a buffet, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, when you go to a buffet, like you don't take everything. You mm-hmm. take, I like that. I'm going to take a little bit of that. I like that. I'm going to take a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really a fan of that. So with your swing, you have to find out what keeps your swing healthy. So like there's certain hitting guys out there without naming names that like some of their stuff, like. I don't like, or I don't like the way they act or the way they, you know, act on social media, but that doesn't mean they suck. That doesn't mean they're, they're not a good hitting guy. Like, you know, bottom line is like, once you truly understand how you move and what keeps you healthy and keeps your swing healthy, then you can go through and sift through things that you're like, yeah, man, I like that. I'm going to keep that drill. Mm -hmm. And, And I tell my hitters all the time, I make them keep a notebook. Like, Hey, what did you learn today? What were the you know, what was the the one cue or two cues or drills that you really felt like clicked for you today mm-hmm. and write those down and, and keep them in a category to where, all right, hey, when you struggle with, you know, oppo path mm-hmm. or you struggle with staying in the ground, uh, maintaining posture, whatever it is, like keep those categorized so you can go through and basically, you know, have your own notebook to say, hey, man, this is what I'm struggling. This, this is what's worked with me in the past. So mm-hmm. I think keep again, keeping an open mind of, of, okay, just because the guy has one or two drills that you don't like, guess what? He probably didn't make up that drill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's probably <laughs> a drill that he picked up or did something to, to, to alter it a little bit, to make it a little bit more his own. But just because he has a couple drills or concepts that you don't really like, that doesn't mean they're bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And in finding someone that uses terminology that clicks with you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, <clears throat> if, if you throw out, you know, a couple things that you dislike and all the rest of that information is helpful for you. That That's a good follow, man. You know, mm-hmm. there's just because you don't like a concept or a drill doesn't mean they're a bad hitting guy. It's about understanding you first, like hold mm-hmm. yourself accountable. Right. You know, once you do that, like I tell hitters, as far as like when they go to the plate, the most important thing you can do is know what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Period. Like if, if you know what you're good at and what you suck at, you can go in and, and build a battle plan based off of, Hey man, early in the count, I know what I'm attacking. 
because mm -hmm. later in the count, I'm probably going to get the stuff I'm not very good at. Yeah. So making sure that you go in with a battle plan of, of understanding not just what you're good at, but more importantly, what you're not good at, you're going to have a lot better at bats. You're going to have a lot more quality at bats and you're going to do a lot more damage on the field. And you're going to help your team out a whole heck of a lot more that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that when you're saying that there's some guys out there personality wise are just a-holes, you know, but yeah. <laughs> what I've learned is even, you know, you and I, I think we're about the same age. I'm 41. You're yeah, I'm 40. 40. I yeah. turned 41 in February. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So we, we kind of grew up in the same generation, baseball generation, yeah. where it was swing down, swing down, swing down, and all these like that yeah. down and through stuff. Right. And I remember I, I felt, I think, again, I don't blame my, my high school coaches, my college coaches, any, any of that, because they just were, they didn't know what they didn't know type of thing. Right. Um, and I think I was, I felt, felt hurt to finally realize going through all the catapult loading system stuff. I, I felt hurt that this stuff was out there, but it wasn't, I wasn't exposed to it. And that's why I think I was like, yeah, the debt swing down stuff sucks, you know, barrel above the hand sucks. So, you know, get on top of the ball sucks. And I did that for like a couple of years. You probably remember, um, we were yeah. so down on the, on the ground balls, you know, for, for, yeah. uh, a couple of years we're just you know ground ball suck and blah 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 um and i understand where those people that are still there are coming from but what i found was that those cues those swing down cues they do work so you talk about these these hitting coaches that maybe you're an a-hole but the, their stuff works it, but it it only works probably in certain scenarios so there's some some out there that are really deep barrels right deep barrels uh, pivoted in the zone early. And, yep. and I was like, you know, I tried that. I tried that with my hitters for, for, for a year or two years. And, um, and again, what I found was, is that there was a lot of popping up going on. There was a lot of swing and missing. There was a lot of having a hard time, get to the uh, fastball up in the zone. Um, and, yep. but now see, we use that framework for middle away and middle down pitches. It's a perfect yep. framework for that. And it did really well in the early two thousands when, the pitchers were down in the zone a lot, even at the major league level. And then you start getting these hitters that are deep barrels. They're attacking that ball down and they're smashing it. Uh, but then when the pitcher started to move up in the zone, you know, that barrel path really wasn't very good. So then we, we switch over to the, the swing down side, the swing down works for middle in middle up. Right. So it's like there, whatever it is that you're seeing is out there, it works, but you have to use discernment and critical thinking to figure out, okay, maybe it doesn't work as a blanket statement, which really nothing really works as a blanket statement, right? Correct. You have to find out where those little um, nuances are, where it does work. Yeah, absolutely. Man. I'll, I'll tell you, and it's a little bit different for me, like I said, because I, I had to delve into the softball world. Yeah. Um, cause my, my daughter, um, you know, I started coaching her, 14 you I feel like it's the worst thing I've ever did and I would never do it again because it was miserable because she was it didn't matter how good she was it was uh it was never good enough so I will say one thing for parents out there try not to your try not to uh coach your kids if you don't have to um but there are <laughs> at least at the where, teenage years right at least at the teenage yeah, years yeah I mean and, and it was a matter of if I didn't do it you know she wasn't going to get quality coaching and I will say right. that you know for the most part softball is like five years behind baseball and just like mm -hmm. baseball is five years behind golf yeah um, <laughs> right it's true so yeah. but the whole swing down thought process and where a lot of that kind of changed for me was the, the the difference in baseball and softball baseball when you get to two strikes you know especially at the amateur level like you're protecting off the plate away you're protecting mm -hmm. off speed Mm -hmm. where softball you're protecting against the rise ball a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so, which is, you know, elevated forcing basically on the baseball side. So, yep. you know, 
when I started to see my high level hitters struggle with covering the rise ball is when the thought process had to go like, Hey, look, you know, there's certain pitches that you do have to think swing down on. And, and, and it just depends on the hitter too. I mean, yep. it depends on the competition level you're playing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that <clears throat> anytime you try to pack yourself into, you know, one frame of thought work, as far as swing up, swing down, swing level, whatever mm-hmm. it is, like, then you start to lose the view of the grand scheme of like, just hit man. Like what, what you think and what you do and produce, whether you produce on the field or not, like that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, the, your coach is going to have the power of the pen. And if you're producing, the only question they're going to have is where am I putting you in the order? So <laughs> right. stop, stop worrying about like swing down, swing up, swing flat and start worrying about like, what does this situation dictate my thought process to be? And, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that too is, you know, you build off of that in a situation where, you know, we always talk to our hitters about, you know, the first two strikes are for you and the last one's for the team and, and mm-hmm. making sure that you go up there with the mindset of like, Hey, I'm going to do damage here. Um, and, and, and that's not just to say we're trying to hit a backside ground ball with two strikes because bottom line is, you know, a lot of times that's going to be an out, especially the older you get, that is an out because that play is being made mm-hmm. and it's okay to do damage with two strikes, but completely understanding the situation. And, and, you know, I think the, biggest mistake that I see from amateur hitters is they don't they they don't take in the information that's available you know you Mm -hmm. see like I I can't stand it when softball players are singing and dancing the dugout and playing drums on a bucket like (laughs) how are you engaged in the game if you're worried about the next dance or lyric that's coming in your song like like so I didn't like my team like my girls probably hated playing for me because I didn't let them sing and dance and play the drum (laughs) on a bucket but (laughs) <laughs> we won games we shouldn't have won. We we really did. Like every time we stepped on the field, you know, we felt like, hey, we had a three run lead based off of, you know, we're going to make sure our girls are engaged in this game and, and at least prepared for the situation, mm-hmm. you know, and on, you know, both sides, baseball and softball, like there's so much information available. If you're just paying attention to the game, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just paying attention to, you know, how they're attacking hitters in front of you, you know, we force all, all of our guys to get out of the dugout, you know, out onto the field when they've got a guy getting loose. And sometimes our dudes get kicked back in the dugout, which is okay, but you can mm-hmm. still get your timing and tempo. You know, it's not about swinging. It's about preparation of when you're getting up off the ground, not about when you're getting down, it's getting it up on time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that <clears throat> teaching hitters what to look for mm-hmm. and how to, it's like when you go into a test, like if you have all the information available, if, if a teacher gives you, you know, a test prep, sheet that says, Hey, this is all the information that's going to be on the test. You have no excuse to fail, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so many hitters fail because they, they fail to prepare based on the information that's right in front of them. And I feel like, you know, getting back on the field, you know, that, that was what fired me back up to, to get coaching on the field again, was like teaching these guys what to look for. Like mm-hmm. one cool story. Like, so when Chase was with the Yankees and A-Rod was there, you know, mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. He started joking around. He was like, oh, yeah, Al. I'm like, Who, who's Al? He's like, A-Rod. I was like, why you call him Al? He's like, because when I think of A-Rod, I think everybody hates him. <laughs> he's like, he's one of the best teammates I've ever had. He's like, so I just call him Al because that's how I look at him. And he said, look, he said, I learned so much from him, not about just hitting, hmm. but like if you if he was if he saw a pitcher face three hitters, he typically – at that point in time, saw enough information or mm. had enough information to tell you exactly what pitch was coming in certain situations. Wow. And, and those guys that, that play at that level and did it as long as, you know, he did at that high of a level, like those guys don't just do it because they're physically gifted. They do it because 
they they take in that information and they prepare themselves for the test. So when they step not in the box, but when they step on deck, that prep is already done. And I feel like that's that's so invaluable that you know so so many amateur hitters miss that. I agree. That that's huge. The pattern recognition, right? And if yeah. it's one thing that just the whole political environment, everything in the last couple of years that I've learned is that there are people that lack discernment and critical thinking, and there are people that have discernment and critical thinking. And yeah. over the last, and it, I don't know if it's a coincidence that we started with my hitters these last couple of years working on what we call hitting strategies. And it's everything you're talking about. It's the pattern recognition. We have, we have, uh, we have six different ones. So we have uh, adjusting verticals we call them verticals instead of launch angles you know so the coaches that don't like the word launch angle right so <laughs> we're adjusting the, the the line drive side of it so the ground ball line drive fly ball ratios right um the adjusting horizontals which is just a line to line i got that from a rod uh yeah. where he's talking about you know the pull-in versus he, he says it line to line so we're adjusting that yeah. side of it which is barrel path basically so the the middle up, middle in, swinging down, you know, that's kind of the group of cues that we use, not only that one. Um, and then we have deep, deep is the middle away, middle down. So that's that side of it. We do a curveball one uh, where we just, we're just breaking off curveballs, but they're hunting a certain, uh, a curveball in a certain zone. Right. And then the last three are the, um, the kind of the big ones. That's the mixed pitching. That's the random pitching. That's where they're hunting certain, certain pitches in certain zones. So the first one of the last three, uh, is zero one strike. So we do a fast guy or a slow guy pattern. So we're, yep. we're looking for those patterns, right? Fast guys to at least they have access to that pitch up and that pitch in versus the slower yep. guy, slower guys, some slower guys, smart ones will, will use that, that pitch up. Right. But a, a, as just a pattern in general, we have a slow, a fast guy pattern, slow guy pattern, zero one strike. We have a, um, a two strike, uh, two strike fast guy pattern, slow guy pattern. So, and then in that one, what's cool, we've been really working with that recently. That's a newer one within the last three or four months. And what we do with that one is we have a percentage. So we'll say 60, 40 with uh, 02, 12, when the pitcher, when I'm ahead in the count that we say 60% of the time I throw the fastball, 40% we throw the curveball, or we'll, or we'll flip it. Um, and so we'll, we'll do that. So we'll base it off of percentages, right? So what, what we're teaching them. And then the last one is just fast pitch or fast velocity, slow velocity pitchers. Um, but what we're teaching is exactly what you're saying, right? The patterns you're look, you're looking yeah. for patterns and you're looking for how the pitchers, and then you, you you're going to have a hitter in a situation where they're doing really, really well, maybe above and beyond what their team's doing. And now that particular player can't look at his teammates and how they're being pitched. He, he basically has to take like a rod. He's got to get two, three at bats before he, or a bat or two before he knows what the pattern is. Right. You yeah, guys do anything absolutely. like that count situation and, and building an approach. I think that, um, at the high school level and below it's the patterns are so blatantly obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you, like you said, I mean, if you just pay attention to what type of pitcher they are, like if the dude throws 90, when he gets to two strikes, the guys that throw 90 have egos. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. Because if I threw 90, I would too. And I would pound the top of the zone. Yeah. And, and, and just like that information should be so blatantly obvious at that level. If you're actually paying attention to the game, mm -hmm. then 
you're going to know that, you know, and, and at, at the next level and in high school, you, you do have, you know, scouting reports to a point, but, you know, I think the best way hitters can build scouting reports at the high school level is keep notes of the pitchers you faced. Yeah. Because guess what? Over the, the, the course of four years, man, you're going to see that they're going to see that same dude a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look back at how they pitched you in the past, I got news for you, man, it's going to be really similar. It, it yep. really is. And, and at the collegiate level and, and above, like, the scouting reports you're given, for the most part, are really dang good. When I was at Tennessee, I had to put together a lot of our scouting reports and the amount of time that I spent on literally every single at bat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we did at least five games, um, five previous games for every hitter, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes more depending on the, the opponent we had. And, and, you know, if they had guys that had been in and out of the lineup, you know, we went back 10 to 15 sometimes. So, mm. you know, I think understanding the type of pitcher, like you said, that you're facing and understanding, you know, how they've got other guys out in the lineup, you know, and obviously you're going to have to factor in righty versus lefty because that's going to make a massive difference in how they attack guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if you build a plan that is a thought out process and you get in the box and you stick to that plan, if you fail to me, I'm okay with that mm-hmm. because you actually went in with a thought process of, in, in, if they attacked you differently than you thought, then tip your hat, man. They beat you. They're better than you on that. And guess what, pitcher? You're supposed to be better than us because mm-hmm. you know what you're throwing. You know mm-hmm. where you're trying to throw it. Yep. You know how hard it's going to be thrown. And and when we win, then, hey, guess what? Like, we built a plan that was built to counteract what you're doing. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I also tell guys all the time, like, your little duck snorts that fall in over the second baseman's head or your rollovers to the six hole, like, be happy as hell about that because <laughs> – more times than not, you hit more balls on the screws to get hit right at someone that gets caught. Mm-hmm. And that that evens out. When I was at Tennessee, actually, um, two of the four years I was there, I did a um, a chart based on, like, hard hit balls versus balls that fell in. And mm-hmm. it was insane how close it was. Like, when they say the game evens out, like, it's insane. It's within, like, two or three hits. You know say, like, balls that you hit on the scrolls and that fall in, man. Like, if you're building a proper plan – and you stick to that plan. I think the the biggest issue with a lot of hitters is they get in the box and they abort it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like I'll, I'll talk to a hitter when they come back to the dugout. I'm like, what are you thinking there? And they have the right mindset. And I'm like, guess what, bro? Your, your swing doesn't lie. You're telling me you were trying to hit a ball off the wall in the right center gap and you just buggy with four balls in the pull side dugout. Like you can <laughs> tell me what you want, man. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing this long enough that the swing doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not barrel hooking balls in the third base dugout as right right handed hitter if your mindset is right center gap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, we tell our guys like two strikes for the most part, it's okay. Like if you hit a 67 chopper back to the pitcher and get your knuckles blown off, I'm okay with it. <laughs> but if you run out of freaking barrel on a freaking soft or a soft, something soft away, like that's on you for not having a plan. And, mm-hmm. and I think that not just building the plan, but sticking to the plan mm-hmm. is so, is just as important as anything to be completely honest with you, man. I agree. I agree. And, and we'll end on this. Um, it's really like you said it right on, put it right on the, the nose, right? The pitcher knows everything. They know what they're throwing, where they're throwing it and how fast they're throwing it. And we don't. So we have to base it off of probability. Hitting is probability. I, I love what Perry husband says. He says hitting is a guess, right? Um, and I, and I think a guess, uh, you may, I probably wouldn't use the term guess, but I, it's probability. So you're taking, yeah, hypothesis. Exactly. So you're using the scientific method, right? We, in, in many aspects of hitting, we, we use it, but you're doing it to look for patterns and see where, where patterns start to shape and form. And like you said, there's 
from high school on down, the patterns are pretty blatant and you can pretty yeah. much, pretty much with 80 plus percent certainty, know by just watching the pitcher warm up. Uh, and if you're tracking them as well, like you're tracking your bats with that pitcher over four years in high school, I mean, you have a pretty good probability how he's going to pitch you. And, and, and then also if you hit him well, like we have 11, 12 year old, uh, hitter, uh, we started, he's been with me for a couple of years and we started this hitting strategy stuff with him. We had to, he was over rotating a little bit on the hitting. Once we got him, uh, back where he needed to be on that, on the mechanical side, got him pretty clean. We started working the hitting strategy stuff. This kid, he's a bigger kid, not tall, but just big, bigger kid. And yep. we got him to a point with our hitting strategies to where everything was predictable. So he would go into a tournament, maybe not well-known at the time and he'd get fastballs. And then he'd turn around, he'd turn them around and he'd hit the wall with them or whatever. And then just like clockwork, curveballs start coming. And it was to where the next tournament where maybe he was playing similar teams, the next tournament he saw of, of the four or five games he played in, he saw three fastballs, all the rest were curveballs. And then he turns those around. And once he turns those around, then it's like, then they just throw around, they start hitting them, right? They throw, they, they never throw anything in the zone. So it becomes so predictable <laughs> at that point. And so I tell him, I say, dude, and he has supposed to have one more year of, of little league this next year. And I said, dude, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be so fun for you, but no, not fun at all for the other guys, because you probably should be playing up this next year. It's going to, he was putting up video game numbers last year. I couldn't imagine what, he, what kind of numbers he's going to put up, put up this year, but that's the predictability of everything. I mean, I think that that's, you know, kudos to, to what you guys are doing with him and him actually buying into the process. I think yeah. that the hardest thing that you and yeah. I and, and anyone in this industry do is like, we're so limited. Like we give you the information. Yeah. Like, but I, like what you do with it is on you though. That's yeah. the hardest part about coaching. Like we can give you all the information you need to be successful, mm -hmm. but what you do with it is ultimately all that matters because mm -hmm. the development process is not going to be there. If you take that information, it goes one ear and out the other ear mm -hmm. or in a game situation, you know, cause and you see it all the time. I'm sure too. Like you have hitters that come in and smash in the tunnel, mm -hmm. absolutely rake in the tunnel, but it takes a long time for that to start to transition and show up on the field mm -hmm. because they haven't truly bought in. Right. And, and that's, I'll be honest with you. Like that's one of the biggest reasons I like hit tracks or, or track man or rap soto hitting like that that technology is extremely valuable, but I tell, I tell people all the time, like I've got a $25,000 hit tracks machine and I've got a, you know, $4,500 ATEC three wheel machine. And if I had to get rid of one of those two, I probably would get rid of the hit tracks mm -hmm. because I don't need that information to see what a hitter is doing wrong. Mm -hmm. But that information being provided immediately after something happens and something's different and they feel something different and can see it immediately. Mm -hmm. That's when they buy in. Mm -hmm. And that's when truly you start to see the progressions occur on the field, you know, and, 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 you know, kind of building on the, the, the machine there too. Like so many hitters hate to hit on the machine. And I was the same way growing up. Hated yeah, it. Me too. You know, why I hated it because I sucked Yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't good at it. And that's like my best hitters hit on the machine more than anybody period. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and it's, and it's not a matter of setting up, you know, BP fastballs at 75 down the middle. It's a matter of, we're going to set, you know, 88 to 92 at the top of the zone. Mm -hmm. We're going to set, you know, back foot sliders. Like, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you mm -hmm. suck at? Like, let's battle test that. You know I mean, and don't get me wrong. There's going to be times that like, we're going to go in and I'm going to let a guy have a, a, a 2 feel good round. Mm -hmm. But like our job is, is to build hitters, not build egos. Mm -hmm. And if, if we're, if we're worried about, Hey, every kid walking out of our tunnel feeling like, you know, 
their he-man like yes you want them to be confident but the confidence comes from what is happening on the field and when hitters are so worried about you know having building confidence in a cage and, and not failing in a cage they ultimately that transition time takes longer to show up on the field and i i think that you know if if hitters would learn more how to deal with failure and, and and stop worrying about, oh man, I just swung and missed six times in a row. Well, I've got big leaguers. I've got pro ball guys that were first rounders that come in and swing and miss 15 or 16 out of the first 30 swings they take because we're doing something that they're uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. We're do we're, we're building something that's ultimately going to make them better on the field instead of, of, of just simply building their confidence. Right. I, I completely agree. And I love that. Uh, to be respectful of your time, Nate, uh, we'll, we'll end the convo. I'm sure we'll have plenty, uh, plenty more to talk about in, in future episodes. Uh, but I do want to ask you, where can people find you if they want to reach out, ask you questions? You got uh, websites, social media, any of that? Yeah, yeah. So our, our uh, website is rbihfa.com. Um, probably the best way to get me is on my Instagram page. It's just nheadley14. Um, um, I'm also on Facebook, obviously, but I, I do more stuff on Instagram than anything. So Mm-hmm. Um, feel free to always reach out to me there. Um, we're doing a camp, uh, December 20th and 21st down at home plate, um, uh, mm-hmm. down in, uh, just South of Atlanta, Peachtree city. So, um, any hitters that are, would like to get in the tunnel, I've got myself, I've got Casey Smith out front hitting, uh, Cameron Ginger propel hitting and Joey Lewis, the hit lab they're coming in and we've got 15 coaches from around the country flying in. Mm-hmm. We've got a former big leaguer who's going back to play this year. He's a former first rounder player of mine. I had for years. Mm-hmm. I was in his wedding. I feel old. <laughs> He's got two kids and, wow. and uh, he, um, he was actually going to open a facility in uh, Murfreesboro and, and I uh, got a few phone calls. Guys want him to come back and play. So he's like, man, mm-hmm. I just want to come work the camp to get the information. So um, it's going to be cool. So we're fired up about that. And uh, anybody would like to get in the tunnel with us, man, we'd love to see him down there. Love it. I love it. Well, hey, thank you for your time and stay on here while, while I uh, turn the recording off. But uh, thanks for All your right. time, brother. Hey, my pleasure, man. Joey, thanks for having me.